Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is June 10th. Oh, oh, oh. I just ran, or these bees ran straight into me. They were mating in the air. Goodness, not even paying attention to where you're going. <laughs> it's June 10th, um, 1.15 p.m. Friday, 2022. And um, another nice day outside it was raining like crazy over the last couple of nights um so much so you could barely even see as you're as you're driving but it was cool you know it's nice to get some more rain and it makes the, and the following days usually more um cooler but um yeah today i want to talk about a few things I'm trying to get my head on straight so we can we can recap what I've been doing over the week, of course. Um, go over uh, some more ideas of love I have. I've had some great conversations about love with my partner. So we'd love to get more into that. And also listen to a great podcast about it, um, which was completely coincidental. And uh, also want to discuss a little bit more about, you know, thoughts on free will and accountability and things like that had some more great ideas on that i think and finally we'll love to discuss some more stuff about solar punk and and uh on the ground activism and things like that and things i would like to work on right where i find my path so we'll see how much i can talk about <laughs> um so for this weekend in terms of work um, we got. We're, we're wrapping up on the last simulation, or on the simulation we've been working on for the past month or so, month or two. It's going well, uh, much better than the first uh, sim that we had to uh, that we were stuck with. <laughs> um, now we're working on a the, a third one, a new one, and um, yeah, just interesting uh, experience there created a we have a new pm coming on i think i mentioned that before and uh she has tasked me and helped me to create a process documentation so i like documentation it really helps <laughs> really helps to put your thoughts on the on the paper put your process on paper and you know um have a good idea of the different things you do and when you do them and things like that um so so, so created a process doc for my design process and leading into the developers QA and all that other stuff um, so that was super helpful definitely something I'd, I'd uh, use elsewhere and hope you know the, the company can use on other projects um, so everything's pretty much going well in that <laughs> um, no traumatic experiences uh, this week fortunately but a lot of great, great learning opportunities. So that's been fun. Um, I've also been like trying to figure out and research how to like direct movies or direct games because something I've noticed is that it's really difficult to adequately communicate what I am trying to design, like what I have in mind when I'm designing this these experiences, like where the camera should you know be looking and when it cuts away and 
you know, um, different details about their environment and stuff like that. So been trying to do a little bit of research around that as well. So I think that will be quite helpful. Um, but yeah, that's, that's most of the work stuff there. So we'll move on. <laughs> In addition, I have been working on, um, like I said, like, I don't know what to touch on first. Uh, we'll touch on the community stuff. So I haven't been to another meeting yet this week. I've been super busy. Um, but that, that in and of itself has had me thinking a lot about how, you know, difficult it is to participate in, in like community events. And um, I guess this leads right into talk about topic about love, too. But a very concerning thing about how life works in the modern day, especially in um, car-centric places like America, capitalist-centric uh, places, is that due to the design of the overall system, meaning the, the way our environment sets, is set up, um, the cadence in which we, we must work and things like that, it makes it extremely difficult to actually build and experience a sense of community. Right, even that word community is almost hard. It's almost abstract these days. Right, at least I feel like. Um, in my experience, myself and many people I know, and I would wager most people, unfortunately, um, don't really belong to a a strong community. Right, the closest thing that they that many folks have is something like a church community, or you know, a work community, and maybe a school one, you know, stuff like that. You know, every now and then, or every other group, or some, you know, some groups might have something like a D&D group, or, you know, a group of friends that they go, that they do some sort of activity with. But most of us are kind of like between work and home, or school and home, or work and school and home. And at each of those places, we're kind of isolated, doing you know our work um even at home that work is like home <laughs> homework as in you know making sure things are clean and the bills are pay- paid and uh, when you're not doing that you're just so tired and wiped out that you just you know veg out you just browse on social media or whatever and because of that you know it makes it extremely difficult to pay pay attention to what's going on in your community to the fact that you know there's homeless people about or um, forests getting demolished and <laughs> you know they could use your help but you know you're too busy or too exhausted right to really be able to help to participate and that's uh, you know what I've been experiencing myself over the past week or so I've been thinking about how I can help help out but you know the forest place is about 20 30 minutes away from me um, and you know I work a regular nine to five type of hours, and then you know afterwards I would go and see my partner or um, spend time with my family. And after all that, you know, it's not much time in the day left. <laughs> 
and then you have things like you know gas prices going up so i have to think about like can i really afford to drive all the way out there because unfortunately that means i'll have to think about you know how much um filling up the gas again and then this week i had to um do an oil change oil oil <laughs> oil oil it's a weird word but uh <laughs> had to do an oil change and and uh that cost money of course and uh had to get my ac checked unfortunately i won't be able to fix the ac because that's going to be like a thousand dollars apparently to get the parts and put it in and all this other stuff i'm just like goodness man it really is unfortunate how how our society really makes it difficult to actually be a part of a community and do meaningful work right just you're just constantly inundated with things to do with um essentially chores right to the point in which many of us don't even have good friendships right so I was listening to his great podcast talking about um, how uh, everything you know about relationships is wrong, just about. <laughs> and uh, from from uh, the next big idea, I think that's what the podcast is called, next big idea. And um, he was talking about how, unfortunately, records of friendships have gone significantly down over the past couple of decades. Um, but friendships are the most important and powerful and valuable relationships one can have, even above one's marriage, right? Because what people don't realize, and even I, like, have, have kind of skated over as I've been studying history, is that marriage is fairly new, especially in terms of love, right? People have always had intimate relationships and even monogamous relationships, like it's not like monogamy, you know, no. That's a big part of what it, what, it, what it means to be human, right? It's these lifelong relationships and things like that. Even though monogamy, monogamy wasn't always necessarily like the only way to go about things, like people, it was normal for people to get into other types of, you know, relationships. But nonetheless, marriage itself as a legal system, right? is by definition a part of the state right it's specifically for the uh political you know kind of maneuvering it's specifically for people with some means to get with other people with more means in order to you know um get better political uh favor more access to more resources or access to other types of, you know, riches or whatever, right? Um, even if it's just, you know, relationship favors, like between one tribe and another, and that marriage was meant to, you know, bind those tribes together. A marriage is, by definition, you know, a legal um, commitment. It's not the same as a, mono it's just a simple, you know, monogamous relationship. So the idea that we have today, that marriage is, you know, the end-all be-all of kind of relationships, specifically romantic relationships, is actually way off base. Throughout history, 
um, people understood marriages to be specifically for these legal kind of bindings, right? For some greater purpose. While they still would get together for love, but with a, you know, partner that they committed to, um, it was simply not really, you know, it didn't have to be substantiated by the entire community. It had to be legalized by the local priest or, or you know, um, holy man or, uh, or law, whatever, right? And that's really important to note. And additionally, additionally, most of pe- most people, most humans throughout history, had most of their relationships um, through friendships. Right? They got most of the value of a relationship through friendships, where you know you have a, a, a bevy of friends. You have half a dozen to a dozen, maybe even more, actual friends, people who you were intimately, you know, um, kind of connected with. And I say intimately in terms of they knew who you were. They knew you talked to them on a regular basis, on a daily basis often, right? Um, you came together and, and worked on stuff together, all this stuff, right? You spend a lot of time with them. Even today, when people think about marriages and relationships and romantic relationships at, the mo- at, at that when they when they're asked, you know, uh, what's the best part of the relationship? Right? Like, what makes this marriage or long-term relationship so good? It's the friendship. It's not necessarily the romantic aspect. I mean, yes, of course, you know that's important. But the most important thing for any successful romantic relationship is feeling like that person is your friend, is your best friend. It's like somebody who you can spend time with on a daily basis. Um, talk all sorts of things with have exciting experiences with this that and the other right and this is really important because if we continue to you know or rather what they what they notice in this podcast is that people will have been putting more and more emphasis on marriages to be the 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 kind of um kind of stake for happy for happiness, for a happy life, right? Is is finding someone, getting married, and this is your everything, right? This person is your everything, right? Your soulmate, or your this, your that, whatever, right? But in reality, we really shouldn't be depending on the marriage to be the sole point of um, happiness. It should be your friendships, right? The marriage itself doesn't really matter in that in that regard. And we, luckily, we do. I do think some people are, are seeing this shift where uh, people are caring less about the marriage and more about committing to a, a long-term relationship, right? Having a life partner type of thing. Um, but either way, right, regardless of if you believe in marriage or not or if you want to get married or not, we need to have more friendships. But what makes friendships so difficult in the modern-day age is that we don't get to spend enough time with our peers, right? Remember, in school, you're surrounded by your peers, or you know, people your same age at least. <laughs> Theoretically, they're your peers. Um, you're surrounded by these people every single day, and so it's easy for you to make friendships. Theoretically, <laughs> many of us, like myself, it was not so easy. But nonetheless, you know, in theory, that you're, you're surrounded by these people, you can make these friendships and have a lifelong friendship. 
But unfortunately, many of us live in communities or rather neighborhoods, um, so-called so-called neighborhoods, where you are in this um, supposedly autonomous space, right? Your own household, right? You get your own house, you have your own car, um, you get a job, and that's located somewhere else, different usually than whoever your childhood friends were. And because of that, you're isolated, right? You go home, and it's just you in that home, or if you live with a family, it's you and the family, right? And you don't really know any of the people around you. They don't work in the same place as you. They probably didn't go to the same school as you, unless you are still in the same exact neighborhood that you went you know, to school with. But even then, it's highly unlikely that all the people in that neighborhood went to the same school and that they stayed there along with you. It's, that only really happens in very small towns these days. And, people, and th- th- those even get boring. And I'll tell you why uh, shortly. I mean, it's pretty obvious when you think about it. But nonetheless, in any kind of, of these neighborhoods, these quote-unquote neighborhoods that you're in, you don't actually see the other neighbors, right? You don't really communicate and spend time with your next-door neighbors very often. When do you have the time, right? You go home, you got to eat, you got to shower, you got to, um, you know, clean the house, and you got to relax because you, you, you know, uh, you was working. The other So eight hours of the day, you're asleep, right, theoretically. <laughs> um, another eight hours of the day, you're at work. Probably for ten hours, like counting into, uh, or nine, nine to ten hours, counting in lunch and, and commute, right? So only the remaining, what, seven or eight hours, you're at home, six to seven Right, you're actually at home, and in that time, again, you have to, you know, shower, eat, clean the house, um, do any other chores that you might have, and just relax and try to get your mind back <laughs> from being at work. Right? If you have any hobbies, you try to do that. Right? Um, you try to keep in contact with family or this, that, and the other. So, you know, what time do you have to go outside and go knock on your neighbor's door and ask them what they want to do? Right? <laughs> And that's kind of awkward. Like, who wants to do that? You want to knock on somebody's door and be like, hey, you want to do something? Like, it's just not something most of us do. Even extroverted people, right? You feel like you need some reason or some kind of icebreaker or some, you know, other thing to do that. And even if you do do that with your immediate neighbors, that's still not quite a community. That's just two people next door to each other, right? You would have to do this to every neighbor in your neighborhood, in order for this to begin to feel like a community. And many of these neighborhoods, you know, they don't really have a communal park where you can where people can just come and sit down and relax together. Right? And because we live in a car centric neighborhood, a car centric environment, when you want to go to the store, for instance, you have to drive five, ten, fifteen, twenty minutes sometimes. And because you've driven so far, you're not going to see the same people that you're living with, as in, like, that's in your immediate neighborhood. Sometimes you'll you'll come across them, maybe, but oftentimes you don't. And so that's a whole new group of people that you only ever see once in a while or never again. 
So when you go out to get food, you're isolated. When you go at home, you're isolated. Even when you're at work, you're isolated, especially with the pandemic where we have remote work and stuff like that. Granted, remote work is great. I love working remotely most of the week. But it does make it harder to, you know, feel like I am really, you know, be able to communicate with everybody on a regular basis at at work. It's a trade-off. Even if you did work at, you know, or are at work most of most of the time even then you're only still really talking to people during lunch or during certain breaks or every now and then you know at work because if you do have those water cool water um what do you call it yeah water cooler talks or whatever on a regular basis your boss is gonna be like what, what's up you know you got work to do right you got to be at your desk working and they try to you know alleviate that through a open plan setting but that's very distracting it's very hard to focus if you're sitting right next to somebody talking or doing listening to music or whatever right it's usually better if you have your own desk it doesn't have to be a cubicle or room but you know having your own desk is usually more productive so i hope you get my point here it's like we're extremely isolated in today's time And that is extremely, extremely concerning because what makes us human, right? What is the the key factor of human nature is being social. Something they pointed out in the podcast is that for most of human history, people lived almost exclusively in some sort of community, usually multiple communities, whether that be a tribe, meaning an actual, you know, kinship group of uh, 20 to 50 people who you saw every single day and you you um, spent almost every part of the day together right that was a tribe um, or if it was like a you know later on some sort of uh, extended kinship group extended family group that's similar to a tribe but in a city type of setting and you lived in like a courtyard type of space with a whole bunch of your family in that general vicinity or in those early cities, they had a whole bunch of common areas, right? There's a, a local theater, you know, or a park, or a, you know, whatever, right? Most of the cities in early cities were, the, were commons, were places where the public can just sit around and, and talk with each other and chill with each other on a daily basis. Even when you were working, right? You might work in, on, in a... A smithy that was full of other people, right? And it's usually, you know, very close to the street. So you can just walk into the street and talk to other folks or something like that. Um, even if it was located a little bit at a distance, it was still close enough to easily walk to, a, to, other, to see other people. Unlike today, if you work at a job, at an office, the only people that you see in that office are people who work in that office, Right? And, it, and when it's time for lunch, you have to go and get in the car and walk and drive somewhere, right? Very few of us live in a place where we can actually walk to another place. And those places are usually pretty nice. Um, that's probably even worse for many of us, many people who are, you know, living or working in retail positions or factory positions where you have a 15-minute work thing. And you have to, like, scarf down lunch real quick and then, you know, run back or something like that. Um, 
it's really sad out here, y'all. <laughs> but nonetheless, the point here is that we don't really have a sense of community in the 21st century. And that's extremely concerning. And that is why, you know, what we see with the internet is even more concerning. It's because a lot of those relationships, and they've tracked this as well with a lot of data, 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 <laughs> is that um, relationships have have drifted away from close, intimate relationships and friendships and things like that. You know, people at your church or people at your school or people at your work, people in the common areas, right, at an arcade or at a, at a bowling alley, whatever, community bowling alley, or even a mall, right? That was a community mall, not just some huge big box place. These places have drifted away, and now most relationships are actually parasocial relationships online or on TV. They actually were able to... Um, uh, get data for to, uh, ah goodness stemming back from the 50s from when television became popular where people spent less time with each other and more time watching TV and the those relationships you know became parasocial relationships where they looked at these celebrities and you know all these other folks that they're seeing on TV and now they're people feel like they have a relationship with these people that they actually never meet that they never met or they don't actually know right but you feel like you know them because you see them every day on this television show and so most of us have grown up you know being closer to the people that we watch on TV whether that be real you know real type of reality TV or you know um uh, what do you call those? Like a Drake and Josh, you know, type of thing and stuff like that. I know it's an older one, but you get my, or, or it's, you know, Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, you know, stuff like that. Or even cartoons or anime, right? Nonetheless, most people, most of us have spent more time, you know, with these shows, watching them on a daily basis, seeing their everyday lives and things like that, or quote unquote everyday lives, right? Um, as opposed to with people in our, physical communities and that has only gotten worse with the internet of course because now with the internet <laughs> you can literally watch you know somebody's vlog or read their blog or you know um, just talk to people on social media who you will never actually see in real life and the only part of them that you see is what they you know put online and yes many of that much of that can be real don't get me wrong like I share a lot of myself on this podcast and and my blogs or when I'm just texting people online that's a real part of me but it's still only a small part of me or at least a fraction I'm not sure how big that fraction is sometimes it's a large part sometimes it's not but either way it's a part of me not the whole me right and granted even in real life if you you know talk to people in real life on a regular basis you might still only see a fraction of them because you know you don't always see what's in people, or you don't, you never see what's in people's minds. But <laughs> hope you get my point here: is that we we tend to create these relationships with people who we never actually get to meet, who we never actually get to see on a daily basis, and and communicate with, and and uh, work with, and do things with. Because of that, all of that, right, leads into this day and age where we feel like we can't do anything 
to help our communities. We feel like all this stuff going on in the world is stuff that we ultimately have no power to change. Right? And that's why I think it's so understandable yet so tragic that people think that the only thing they can do is just vote for a different person. <laughs> right? Or nothing at all, just sit around and troll. Because we're so incredibly isolated. Because we don't see how communities are built anymore. We don't see how communities actually work even. We don't see how we are part of the natural community in terms of the ecosystem, right? We don't really see how we communicate or or interact with the wildlife, with different animals and plants and insects and things like that. We don't really get to see any of that. We're isolated. That's extremely concerning. So all this to say, you know, to go back to uh, what I wanted to talk about as well is, is like this idea of love. I think I mentioned before how I think many of us have a wrong idea of love. Right? Like we think it's just being in a relationship or feeling connected to somebody or something like that. But I think a better definition of love or idea of concept of love is the desire to grow with another person to grow with them means that they actually care about you they know you at least they try their best to know you right they participate in your life and you participate in theirs it's a mutual relationship furthermore you're not just there to you know bring out the worst of each other or something like that you're you try your best to help each other grow you try your best to to see, you know, what each other's goals are, what what each of you care about, and then help try to help each other get there. All right? I think that's what love really is. Without that concept of love, we tend to let ourselves be bought in we tend to buy into this idea that we can love this celebrity or love this you know social media presence or you know even love family that we don't actually care about or that doesn't care about us this is a very contentious part of this but i i really think that you should choose you have to choose who you love maybe not at first but when you get into it, right? Like they say in the podcast, they were saying how, you know, people don't necessarily choose when they fall in love. Like it's literally like falling. It's like a, it's like a sickness almost. Like you, something you get and, you know, it, it kind of infects you and, and your, your mind state is altered, right? Especially for romantic love. But you do have to act. You have to, in order to keep that love going, right? You have to actually do things. You have to create experiences together. You have to support each other. You have to listen to each other. You have to do all these things in order to, you know, um, continue that love. And I think the same thing is for family. Right? Many of us take our family 
um, for granted. But not just meaning like who you're connected, like you're connecting, uh, being connected with family, but in terms of we take for granted the idea that we must and do love our family just because they're our family. Even though we do spend a lot of, usually, <laughs> many of us spend a lot of time, you know, with our family. I would argue that, especially these days, many of us, maybe not even just these days, but going for a long time into hierarchy, ever since, you know, the development of patriarchy and many patriarchal hierarchical systems. But um, many of us live in families in which are not supportive, right? Where our family members abuse us the most. And in fact, we know this to be true in that most kidnappings, for instance, and most sexual abuse, especially as kids or onto kids and things like that, are done by families or loved ones. Right? Many of the worst or many of the, the highest quantity of these crimes in the 90s or in, 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 even in going from the 70s to 90s and so you had this idea that oh it's not safe for, to, for our kids to be outside because people are getting snatched <laughs> when in reality it was uh, like 90 something percent of kidnappings were done by people the kids already knew like people in their families or at their church or something like that and that did, so it didn't really matter if you let them you know you know outside um that wasn't going to increase their, their, their odds of being kidnapped. What increased their odds of being kidnapped was being in an unsafe community where you have this idea that you love these people, that they, you should trust these people, even if they are abusive or harmful in some, in some other way. So yeah, I think we too often say, oh yeah, we love our family, you should love your family. And if you don't, then you're a bad person, right? If you don't love your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, you know, these people, grandparents, all this, you know, then you're a bad person, right? <laughs> but that just leaves the door wide open for so much abuse and so much angst and hate and isolation that it defeats the purpose of love. Yes, initially, right, you're almost certainly going to love your family that you grew up with. If they tri treated you right as a child. But once you get to the age in, in which you realize that you have your own emotions. And that you have your own thoughts. And that you have you are your own person. Right? You have your own agency. At that point, you have to... You, I think you actually naturally begin to ask, you know, do you love these people? And I think that's part of the, you know, teenage angst. Right? That teenage rebelliousness of... Realizing that you don't, you maybe don't like these people who you live with, right? They're not really who you want to be, or maybe they're, you don't understand them, or, you know, they're not letting you do what you want to do, whatever, right? Granted, there's a lot, to, there's a lot there with current age, and I'll talk about that shortly, actually, because that's pretty important, too. But, before I get to that, um, I think part of the teenage kind of rebelliousness age is the fact that we are beginning to realize that we don't actually love these people we don't necessarily have to love these people but we're quickly indoctrinated with this belief that oh yeah you better love them right you don't have to like me but you love me right 
you don't have to you know um feel love in the way that you think love should be but i'm giving you love i'm giving you the tough love or this that and the other. like there's so many examples of this so many variations of this this idea that yeah these might not be the type of relationship that you want but this is what you got and because of that you have to you know you better be grateful for it or you have to value it but that's not how value works that's not how being grateful works if you're doing it out of obligation then it's not really valued is it it's not really part of it's not something you chose it's not something that that matters to you or or I don't know the right words for this. (laughs) But I do think that part of the process of loving your family is actually being open and curious and supported enough to actually figure out who they are. Right? It's looking into into them and being interested in who they are as a person. Not just as a mother, but as a person. Right? What do they like? What are their dislikes? What was their childhood like? What are their goals? You know, this, that, and the other. What do they do on an everyday basis? What are their hobbies? And, you know, go down the line. Just be curious about them. And, and then ask yourself, you know, do I like this person? Do I love this person? If so, then great. You've created a deeper relationship with your family or with anyone, really. But if not, then that's okay, too. <laughs> we can't really feel guilty for not for realizing that we actually don't love you know this member of our family because maybe they were just incompatible maybe they're we realize that they're not a great person that they're abusive or they're just you know far different than who you can connect with at this time maybe later on you can love them or maybe you just never will and that's okay too because another big part of growing up is realizing that you can and and we'll have to live with and communicate with people who you don't actually like. <laughs> right? You work with people who you don't actually like. And yes, you should have the power to disassociate, to not work with these people, to move and stuff like that. But at the same time, there's always going to be occasions where you're working or talking or meeting people that you don't like. And you have to learn how to navigate through that, right? And I think family is, is is the first you know real kind of eventuality for this but yeah we should choose and so far as much we have some sort of agency or free will or whatever who we love and why we love them and all this other stuff and we do so through awareness this goes into you know the next topic i want to talk about is, is that free will again and that I use the words choose and things like that because it is useful. Like I said before, free will is useful. But you have to be careful not to overuse it. A great metaphor, I think, <laughs> at least for me, that's, that's I've been playing around with, is the idea that um, our life or our choices and things like that is very much like being on a train. And that... We can sit on the train. We can choose where we want to sit on that train, what we want to think about, and and sometimes even what we want to look at. But overall, we don't really choose where we're going on that train because that train is set on the track. It has a momentum. And if you want to go to a different destination, 
then you have to get off that train and go to another one. All right? Um, this is just a metaphor for that part, but the point here is that the idea that, you know, consciousness or whatever is like a man on an elephant, I think that's useful. I think it's even more useful when you realize that it's more like a person on a train and that it's really difficult to change how you want to change if you don't realize the path that you're on. Right? If you don't realize the environment that you're in, if you don't realize, you know, um, all these things about where, where you're at at the moment and where you're going and the momentum that you have, then it doesn't matter how, how much willpower you have. You can't just think your way to stop the train. You can't hold out your hand and say, stop train. <laughs> no, it depends on if there's an environmental factor outside of your control of whether or not that train is going to stop and where it stops. But of course, there are limitations to that metaphor, like, you know, what got you in that train in the first place or, you know, what created those tracks and that's all this other stuff. Um, and sometimes it does feel like you have a little bit more agency than that. Right. So I, another metaphor I had was like driving. Like sometimes life feels like driving and that you're in this vehicle. And. You have, but you have, because you're in this massive vehicle that is moving faster than you can actually keep up with. Like, you would never be able to, like, you as in the conscious part of yourself, would never be able to close this distance if it wasn't for this massive vehicle that is the unconscious mind, right? All, this, all these systems and things in, in place. And the conscious mind is simply driving that vehicle. It's not the vehicle itself. It's the driver of that vehicle. However, even though that seems like you have a lot of agency and a lot of power, and you do to an extent, you're still limited to the roads, similar to this train on the tracks, right? In this case, you're limited to the whatever roads are paved or even unpaved, right? If there are no roads for you to travel, for you to drive down, for you to try to move the car in that direction, then you can't go there. And if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know, you know, <laughs> what, where this road is going or, you know, where this turn will take you or whatever, then you're going to be in uncharted territory. And that's not always a bad thing. Like, you can very quickly, you know, look around and, and see, ascertain where you are and figure out, you know, what you want to do from there. And that's a lot of what the mind does, right? We have the, the conscious mind is the job is to, like a driver, be cognizant of what's around you. You have to constantly be on the lookout for what's going on. And I would even wager, even go so far as to say it's good to be a defensive driver in your mind, meaning look out for other people, right? Look out for aggressive drivers and, you know, accidents waiting to happen and all this other stuff and be ready to adapt quickly. Be ready to. Realize that, hey, if a aggressive driver comes in, like, you know, a psychopathic person or something like that, recognize what they're doing, who they are, and get out of the way, <laughs> right? Don't try to confront them. You know, that just leads to an accident, All right? You have to be very conscious and aware of these things, and that will help you be safer. That will help you have a better experience as a, as a driver. Um, but... All the while, recognize that even though you are driving this vehicle, 
even though you have this massive power of being able to control or seeming like you're controlling this vehicle in event in actuality you don't actually have much control because once again you cannot turn at any point you can only turn where there is a turning lane or there's a you know a place to turn if there's a curb you know <laughs> along the way you can't just swerve into the curb you'll crash I think the mind is very, very similar, right? We like we like to think that we can just change our habits at any time. <laughs> we like to think that we could just make the right choice at any time. But if we didn't, you know, recognize where a, 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 a turning point is, like if you have this set of habits of, for instance, waking up in the morning, going to work, doing this, doing that, doing that, right? And then suddenly you want to write a book. Your destination is to write a book. But if you don't, if you didn't build up the habits, meaning the route that would get you to writing a book, doesn't matter how much free willpower you try to drum up, right? You're still driving the same path. If you want to, you know, um, write that book, you have to actually take a different route. And, you, and in that, you have to slow down at one point. Like whenever you make a turn in a car, you can't just go full speed in the, into that turn. You'll crash or have some other accident. Get some whiplash or whatever, right? Likewise, when we're trying to build habits and build new habits, sometimes we have to slow down and be like, okay, you know, <laughs> let that inertia die down. And then you can make that turn. Then you can make that change. This is why I really think that having a more systematic, you know, way of viewing the world and and realizing that free will is extremely limited, if maybe even non-existent. But either way, like realizing that the, there is more power in and being aware of not just the environment, of not just yourself, but the environment as well, right? Not just self-awareness, but environmental awareness, systematic awareness. Like it's way more powerful. To recognize how much power you do not have Than it is to think that you have way more power than you actually do This idea that we can just will ourselves into doing whatever we want Completely ignores the fact that you can't, you know Like you will seriously hurt yourself Or and other people If you try to, you know, turn a corner Where you haven't slowed down or where there is no corner We have to be very careful and, and conscious, conscientious about, you know, the routes we take, the speed at which we're going, the speed of change and how we change and this, that, and the other, right? So, yeah, that was the metaphors I was thinking about before, and I think hopefully it helps people. Um, talking about it definitely has helped me to further, you know... Um, describe these habits or these these uh, metaphors and things like that um i forgot what else i was going to talk about <laughs> uh i think i wanted to recap the forest thing again because i made a, a video last time or a podcast about last time but i was like tired driving home i was trying to stay awake so i'm not sure how how cognizant that um podcast was but it was a really cool experience, you know, going to the forest. Um, I, need, I need to figure out how to pronounce the actual name of the forest, like Wawanawi or something like that. Um, part of a Entrenchment Creek Park. And it was really cool. 
we got to go off path and then um, you go in for a while into this forest and it's, it's like the change in tone felt like a felt like I was playing Valheim I may have mentioned that before but like it's so cool how you're in this you know paved area and it's sunny and everything like that it's very bright and you walk into the trees and it, it cools down it feels like it turns to like a blue shift type of thing and it's much darker and and at the same time very um, much more relaxing in a way very, very uh, zen like um, but yeah we met some people who live in the forest or who regularly go there um, they have these huge banners up in the up in the trees and it looks felt like you were going to like a like a fantasy world almost with these banners up there and what, what was super cool was that they built actual tree houses y'all they built actual tree houses in the trees like all the way at the top of the trees it has to be like 50 feet up or something like that i don't know i'm terrible with like actual measurements but it's very high <laughs> all right full size like trees and they built it at the very top, like on the treetop, um, on those you know branches at the top. And the only way to get up there is through this this rope that you have to climb. I mean, they use some system that latches onto the rope and allows you to you know be stabilized as you're climbing on this type of climbing rope. But uh, it was it was really cool. So that's something I really want to do myself. Something I that got me thinking about is the fact that. Like what? What I would want to do for a community, right? Is to learn how to build things, learn how to create um, modern-day technologies in a sustainable way, right? Like I was, I was walking through this this uh, forest. I was thinking about hmm, how can we build like a irrigation system so that you know the river can feed you know closer to this area. Because one of the big things that they're looking for is is um, reliable water carrying objects I and mean, jugs and things like that um and be very it'll be very nice if you can have some sort of like a a plumbing type of thing right you can turn a spigot and you have water coming out but that water feeds back into you know the ecosystem rather than just going into some sewer it goes back into an, the ecosystem because i was looking up um the other week about aquaponics how these folks have feed their um, their home water system into like a gray water uh, filtration area that gets cleaned by plants. Right? They put plants and koi or some other fish in there, and those fish are you know use the nitrogen from their plumbing from you know like you know when you flush it when you pee and stuff like that. Like um, just like in the real world, it's like in actual lakes and things like that. They use that um, in order to live and they themselves basically filter out you know that water and that water goes into another plant system that you know further filters it out and and it and grows from there and then um that filtered water can go back into the house so it's a, it's a circular system there um so i would like to do more stuff like that or learn how to do stuff like that myself um and then build it out for these places like these forests um something i was also thinking is like how cool would it be if we can figure out how to actually live in a forest at the same time feel like we're living in you know a modern age because something unfortunate that's very you know difficult about the forest is that 
how much you might be worried about like bugs and being bit or stepping on something like po- or some poison ivy or this, that, and the other, right? And these are tame forests. Like this is in the middle of a city. So yes, it's very, it feels wild, but at the same time, it's not like you saw like a bunch of, you know, huge snakes or, you know, mountain lions or this, that, and the other there. Like it, I didn't even see any animals. I'm sure they were like, I heard, you know, a few squirrels and things like that and birds. But unfortunately, a lot of these forests anywhere near a city is completely devoid of large animals, um, which makes the environment a little more, quote unquote, safe, but also a little bit more sterile. Um, so something I really would like to do is figure out how we can create some sort of living situation where humans can actually live in a forest and at the same time have like indoor plumbing experience where you can actually sit down on the toilet in the middle of a forest i don't know how that will work yet but it's something i'm thinking about like how how can you do that what would that look like you know you can have like an actual kitchen you can have like a you know a toilet or toilets or different things like that not just outhouses because outhouses they have their own problems but i would like to see an actual toilet connected to a plumbing system and which feeds into the aquaponic system i was talking about right all inside of a forest Right. So there, you don't you don't have to, you know, mow down or, or you know, the forest in order to create like a, a modern living situation. You can have these modern amenities within the forest. Right. The forest is naturally cooling, so you wouldn't really need much AC. And in fact, trees often high, uh, uh, dramatically reduce the need for AC, even in regular neighborhoods. Right. So um, I think it's uh I forgot the exact stats, but if you, you know, have a tree close to your house, even though there is a, you know, threat of it falling on your house, there is a significant saving energy savings um, because it actually reduces heat and uh, things like that. Also increases oxygen and increases um, just the Zen feeling. So it increases uh, um, mental health and things like that. And we can we can measure all this stuff. So. We know it's really like trees are extremely beneficial for for human uh, development, but nonetheless, sometimes it still is hot or there's no wind coming in or maybe people have some sort of health problems. So I would love to see you know what would it be like if you created AC rooms or AC corridors within a forest without bulldozing any trees, without significantly harming or changing the environment. How can you create modern anemones? Like, like AC, um, you know, toiletries and kitchens and things like that in this space. I think that would be very, very solar punk, very exciting and very future focused, right? More sustainable because this idea that we have to, that we are at odds with the environment is, I think, extremely corrosive. The idea that our lifestyle has to come at the cost of the environment I don't think that's a, a good way of of doing things or, or seeing ourselves, right? This is why so many of us, so many people have this idea that humans are naturally parasitic or whatever, because that's how we behave, right? That's what we allow, um, and we really is the people in power that can create these environments and things like that. But nonetheless, that's that's some of the things I want to think about. At the same time. I also want to think about the other way is is when you're in the city right with very little trees 
or any no trees at all, no plant life, how can you bring the forest into a city, into an urban development, right? Where you have these condos and you have these storefronts and all this other stuff. How can you actually bring the forest in there, right? Maybe you can build a copse of trees inside of a building, but you connect it through some sort of corridors so that wildlife can naturally flow from the, the bigger forest into the city center and then out again. Because a huge problem with, you know, city parks and things like that is, again, they're extremely sterile. There's no biodiversity there because animals can't move from that park to the wider forest. And because of that, they can't really reproduce very well. It's like, you know, it's like being inbred. It's like people live in one, one rural location and only ever reproduce with the people there. You end up, you know, fucking your cousins and your sisters and shit. It's, like, it's, not, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. So same thing happens with, you know, the regular wildlife. And because of that, you know, um, animals don't really get to evolve in a, in a more, in a, in a good way, in an optimized way. So, and that, that, there's many other problems there as well, like the fact that you have more pests in the area where you deforce a lot of places because, you know, those animals have nowhere else to go except for in your house or these, you know, buildings and things like that. Um, insects, too, you know, they tend to ravage um, whatever plants, whatever gardens that you try to build because you've just destroyed, you know, their natural ecosystem. Um, this, that, and the other. Bunch of other problems there. There's also the problems with, you know, uh, rain and heat and things like that because you destroyed the forest, meaning means that there's more erosion and there's less um, things sucking up the heat and there's more carbon in the air and this, this, that, and the other. So now that area is hotter and it's also more prone to pl- flooding and it's just not a good place to live. It's very fragile. So if we can combine these things, if we can, for instance, build, you know, forests in a, in a city or build, you know, modern amenities in a forest, I think that would be amazing. Another idea is also to figure out how to build in ways that are inherently um, very ecological. Like, what if we build a house that is like a giant tree, <laughs> right? Like, literally structure the house so it looks like a tree, it feels like a tree, you know, insects and animals can come in and out um, of certain areas or whatever. If you want to keep certain areas clear, you can do that um, without disturbing the overall wildlife. Um, how can we, you know, do that? What would that look like? Maybe the, the, the leaves and things like that would, would provide um, ample solar energy, right? We have way more surface area than just a, a huge solar panel. Maybe you can have way more power coming in. Maybe you can use piezoelectricity from the wind and create power that way, you know? Uh, maybe you can use uh, a better plumbing system so that it connects to the local rivers and things like that. Right? Like there's so much stuff that we could be doing and I think that we need to be we need to explore these more radical ideas, these more mm-hmm. ecological ideas. But yeah. Gotta end it there. Um got a couple seconds left. And um as always, thanks for watching, thanks for listening. Let me know your thoughts. Um and uh yeah. Keep thinking, keep being critical, go do things in your community, see what's going on with there with your community forest folks you can help cops you can stop (laughs) communities you can build and let's change this world for the better we can do it we're just gonna have to adapt a lot (laughs) Um, that's probably what i'll talk about next time is how we how we might be able to adapt radically for a changing climate 
But yeah, that's it. Have a great day. See you. Bye-bye.